0: sort of roadmap in our minds was way too big to actually realize in practice with the kind of resources that we had. We got seed funding, uh, we got a, a little over a million seed funding. Then it was a little bit more practicable, like a lot of the kinds of ideas we could start to put into practice. But there was so much, right? So we were trying to be a bit driven by uh, customer needs as well. So we had one early customer that drove like us trying to get very big graphs, and less on the sort of incremental. Like, how do you how do you actually create those graphs in the first place? I'm Gavin Gleason. I'm the CTO of Terminus DB.
1: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry, and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart. And today, how Gavin Gleason built a world-class tool with Git-like collaboration centered around data workflows. All this and more on Code Story. When asked what he does for fun, Gavin Gleason likes to program for fun. He builds stuff in his spare time as tech dominates his life. But outside of tech, he has two daughters and his family enjoys spending time outdoors, specifically in the Alps. At Trinity College in Dublin, Gavin and his teammates were working on a project that required the storage and relation between loads of complex datasets. During this project, they decided to create a better kind of database to help solve these sorts of problems. This is the creation story of Terminus DB. Sermonist TB actually got started
0: at Trinity College Dublin some number of years back, I think it's like six years ago now. And we were working on a project about long-scale historical research, trying to look at patterns in history and look at the pattern of uh, civilizations, civilizational collapse, disasters, and the responses to those, and what it takes to keep a society around. So Terminus was actually just a, its genesis comes in us trying to figure out how to store all of the really complicated data that would have to be like time scoped data, it would have to be geographically scoped, it had loads of different uh, variables, all the variables had uh, people who would vouch for them, so there'd be, you know, you'd take it from some source, so you'd have some variables saying the human height in Britain during the late 1800s, Uh, according to you know military inductions was this high and that we found in this source and he used this other source. so you have this really complicated sort of chain of provenance that you need to keep around and you have very complicated information and that's that that problem really sort of drove us to try to create a different kind of database that would make it easier to do these sort of large-scale data management projects
1: well, tell me about the MVP for Terminus TV. Tell, tell me about that first product you built. How long did it take you to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life?
0: I mean, it, it went through a lot of iterations, actually. So the first thing we did was we were trying to figure out how, how to store this complicated data, and we we were looking at linked data solutions, like ways of, of trying to use RDF and OWL to try to structure this because it was such a complicated, interwoven sort of graph database type problem. My first prototype, I guess, was, was just in Prolog, so I just wrote a, a Prolog graph, and I, I looked around to see if I could do it that way, and Swipple, I guess there's the Swede Prolog, has some really good tools for linked data. Pretty quickly, it became apparent that it wouldn't scale up very well, so, once you got past like 20 million triples, then it started to fall over. So then we started trying to find out ways to get around that. And uh, I guess then I integrated HDT, which is a headers dictionary triple library uh, that's written in C++ with Prolog. And then I kind of started playing around with that. And that scaled really well. In fact, like it, that could scale up to really huge graphs, like really just enormous graphs bigger than you could get in most other graph databases. You'd have a hard time like loading that into Neo4j database, for instance, because you would just end up uh, swapping to disk all the time. They were using these really unusual data structures, these succinct data structures. So then that got me really interested in succinct data structures. It, It didn't have a lot of the features that Terminus has in that it didn't have version control, but it started me thinking about these sorts of things like actually you know how do we do updates and then i was thinking okay well we could do updates where we actually create a new one of these or we create intermediate layers that are also structured using these hdd-like data structures and then the you know from there it was like very obvious actually that looks a bit like the way that git does its uh, storage where you store snapshots of things but we wouldn't store snapshots because with data it would be too large but we'd store the diff between them. That sort of was the genesis of the first MVP.
1: From that point, from the genesis point, like you mentioned, how, how did you progress the product from there and how did you mature it? And I think I think to to wrap that in a box a little bit, I'm curious how you built your roadmap and how you decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or address or enhance with terminus. <laughs> it's it's
0: really been a process. It hasn't been one direction so we had a very expansive vision so myself and Kevin Feeney we talked about this stuff constantly and how we we would like the product to look but that sort of roadmap in our minds was way too big to actually realize in practice with the kind of resources that we had we got seed funding uh, we got a, a little over a million in seed funding then it was a little bit more practicable like a lot of the kinds of ideas we could start to put into practice But there was so much, right? So we were trying to be a bit driven by uh, customer needs as well. So we had one early customer. They they were essentially doing a um, corporate intelligence application and they they had big graphs with complicated data that was time scoped and they needed to have that kind of information so that you could traverse edges in a time scoped way so for instance like you'd have a company the company has shareholders but the company doesn't just have shareholders right the company has shareholders that hold shares at a particular time window right so you buy shares and then at some point you might sell them so if you want to look at control of the company the control of the company is a very dynamic thing that changes over time so you want to be able to have this sort of graph where everything's scoped by the time that it's in and you can ask questions about time slices through that that drove like us trying to get very big graphs and, and when going in that direction, and less on the sort of incremental, like how do you how do you actually create those graphs in the first place? So then subsequently we had another customer who was trying to do supply chain stuff, and their stuff was coming in very incrementally. So there wasn't like a big load process that you could do and then just do the analytics. You had to keep something that was a little bit more like a, you know a transactional database. Then, you know, we started developing features on that basis to, to really make it more Git-like at that point. We, there was a lot of discussion, I guess, in the company. Like, all of the employees actually were involved pretty heavily in the decision-making processes r- around these things about, like, what are we trying to build? How, how are we going to bring this to life? Like, databases are big things. They're not like i I've, I've um, you know, worked on quite complicated software in the past for chem informatics and stuff like that but in a lot of ways those it's often the case that your sort of mvp uh has lower barrier to entry than a database like a database people want it to be absolutely solid they want it to be super fast and the things that they have in mind have really like postgres is an amazing you know piece of kit so if you're trying to compare yourself to postgres as the sort of baseline you really have you have a long way to run you know
1: it's 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 not an easy road so then my next question is probably even more important than normal how did you go about building your team and what did you look for in those people that indicated that they were the winning horses to join you and go tackle this hard problem
0: it is very hard to to get a good team together we have an incredible group of people but we didn't always make the right decisions on that and that's it it is tricky to do and i've learned over time uh i was involved very heavily involved in the hiring process and i've learned i'm not very good at hiring (laughs) so and you know the 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 bad side of this is like they say you know you have to either be good at hiring or good at firing and that's really a disaster right when you have to fire people is it's um it's not great. It's bad for morale. It's bad for everybody. And oftentimes, it's the the fault of the per- it's generally the fault of the person who hires them. There's no, a number of things you have to go after, and they're they're hard to get right. Right. So you need somebody who can do the skill set that you're looking for, and that's already hard to find, especially if you're looking for database technologists or people who you know are very adept at dealing with complicated modeling. Hard to come by. In addition to that, you also need somebody who loves the thing, right? So because we're an open source product, that's a little bit easier and I think that has helped a lot. If you're an open source product, one, you can get people working with it potentially before they're employed and two, there's a feeling of contribution that you just can't quite get unless you're open source so like the, the contributions that people put into it are in some way remembered it's in github you know you you have put your piece out there in the world so it's a little bit like artistry in a way and you know being able to sign your art <laughs> I don't know but I think you know people who are really interested in uh, writing difficult code and beautiful code, can be quite invested in, in that. And I know I am, I mean, it, it really, it drives me. I want to, to create something beautiful. So that's, that's what you have to also look for, is the people who are not just there for the job, but trying to create something beautiful.
1: Given, you know, you gotta get a database right out of the gate, right? I'm curious where you'll take this question, but let's talk about scale. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you've grown and gained traction?
0: Oddly, like we were very scalable on day one, and then we got unscalable by adding features. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're regaining that scalability that we had on day one. So the the simplest um, example, you know, without all, all of the features, we could scale it. I don't know, I had, we were ingesting data on it up to about a billion triples on and we're running 48 processors simultaneously and then we had this giant memory image and everything's really great there but you couldn't update it and every time you wanted to change something you had to do a full upload so in some ways like it was very scalable in other ways it 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 wasn't like a transactional database so making it more like a transactional database and then having the sort of git like features it slowed us down a bit and we're still in the process of recovering that so but two of the things like the first uh, iteration we were using hdt which is like this c plus library and one of our engineers matthias he's a, a dutch engineer he wrote a rust proof of concept for this library and we were immediately very interested because we had had some SEG faults in the HTT library and like parts of it were supposed to be re-entrant, but actually weren't. It was very, very difficult to track them down. Like we put locks in places and you know, you'd be dancing around trying to find out what's going wrong. And we have had much better experience with Rust, being able to multi-thread, being able to really scale up, getting high speed, similar speeds to what we had in C++, but also much greater safety. So that was that that helped us in in, in that sort of uh, transition. In, at the moment, we're still in the process of like really trying to get it up to Ferrari speed, which is where we want it to be. <laughs> but uh, that process has been like uh, you know it's m- pushing things down into Rust. So we have an orchestration layer that's done in Prolog, and a lot of the things that slow us down, we like find out where the greatest time is spent, and then push it down into Rust, and then try to optimize that. So that's that's been the forever process and I think it'll be the process of the next two years is really going to be looking to really get this up to analytics scale where people can seriously use it for gigantic uh, graphs, but then also get like, uh, get like features on top of that.
1: You know. That's a powerful statement as someone who cut his teeth on C and C++ that rust is as powerful or get you are getting up to the the place that is as powerful as C++. that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, no,
0: it's huge. and I, I was really impressed. Like I mean, the ideas that go into rust are very interesting. And so I was always interested from a sort of computer science theoretical view, but I didn't think about actually adopting it until Matthias had written that uh, prototype implementation. And, you know, I had just been fighting with this HDT library, chasing down bugs day and night for weeks. At some point, like when I saw this, I was like, okay, yeah, let's do this. (laughs) Let's do this, try it out, see if we can make it work. And, you know, I've never looked back. That was
1: a great decision. Okay, so then as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? At the present
0: moment, I guess, that we can use the database. We have a project that we're working with called CAMS, which is the Critical Assets Management System that we've been doing with Arise US, which is the UN Disaster Response Project's affiliate. It's trying to help Caribbean nations and other small developing nations deal with the impacts of climate change. They have some very graph-like problems where they're trying to look at the way that their assets relate to each other, which ones depend on which other ones. So there's a dependency chain problem. We participated in this project and we helped a lot to try to get them a working uh, uh, project in Dominica, which is a, a Caribbean country. And we're going to have another pilot project, I believe in, in um, Costa Rica. And that I, I'm quite proud that we were able to get the database to a point where you know we could really feel comfortable uh, deploying it for real use
1: cases like this that can help people let's flip the script a little bit tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it
0: we we got an early customer and we had an early customer and we uh, offered them a deployment and we we just weren't ready the database wasn't at a point where we could scale up to their needs so we were trying to backfill like crazy And then sort of halfway through that process, I think there was a a sense, you know, we should just give up and we kind of like only halfway, we had like one foot in continuing the project and one foot in like continuing development on the roadmap. And I think that was a mistake, I think we should have gone two feet in and just made that customer. Uh, the absolute happiest customer it would have we would have had to lay it a little bit in terms of like we it, it would have been a little bit of a diplomatic mission as well to to keep them uh, okay with it keep them sweet but uh it would have helped because it would have it would have sped up our attention to the problems that we face in industrial deployments and like we're we've we've really worked out a lot of those issues at this point Many of them are still there though. some of them are still there, but we would have done it quicker if we just tried to, to go in with two feet. So I'm really of the opinion that, you know, you have to use these things in anger on real scenarios to really get a feeling for where the pain points are.
1: So, okay, let's switch to you, Gavin. Who influences the way that you work? You know, CEO, CTO, architect, person, any person you look up to and why?
0: My head engineer i guess <laughs> he uh, i i look up to him a lot like he's an amazing programmer really insightful like a really big vision kind of guy which is uh, rare so i like that and kevin feeney who was the ceo that um uh helped found the company yeah, i i really admired his vision as well i guess in terms of like what what my influences are like if this was uh, if we were talking about records and like which bands I listen to. I I think, uh, you know, I'm really influenced by type theory. I I like type theory a lot. And then I would say my single biggest sort of, from computer science, my single biggest influence is Saul Kripke. His ideas of Kripke structures, I think, uh, influences how I think about databases and uh, logic and query languages. So if anybody hasn't read Saul Kripke, like he was like 17, I think, when he published his first paper. <laughs> and it was like a seminal
1: paper in computer science, so it's it's well worth a read. Okay, so we, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: At some points, I would have grown slower, been a, a bit more careful about growth. I would have... Um, probably try to take on capital more slowly as well, take on capital more slowly, and focus on uh, consultancies that are building the the product more. Uh, And I think that that's a good way to keep you honest about the features that you're building. That the features you're building, because there's this problem, like if you have capital, you can try to guess, and then you try to get feedback from the consumer, but it's often best just to be your own consumer. It's easier to feel where the pain points are going to be that way than if you're just like sort of guessing um, with your finger in the wind.
1: I like how you said that a lot with the being your own consumer, you know, I think there's the term like eating your own dog food, building it, you know, yes, for this vision, yes, for the customer, but you're also building it for yourself. And that's a, that's a big, I don't know. I really like how you said that. Well, well. last question, Gavin. So, so you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can not we show it off to you right there on the plane? What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: I don't know. I mean, I could give them a lot of advice, uh, probably about the whole process of, um, taking on capital and how to go about it, I think uh, that's the hard, it's a hard road and it changes all the time and at every stage it's different so you know every time you get bigger it changes again so I haven't done it yet so it's this crazy situation where you're always a novice at the same time I don't know how to give a general advice about that because it really depends a lot on the individual uh, product and what what it how the technology works what the business plan is definitely um if you're gonna do it you're gonna have to love the journey because <laughs> maybe i would tell them that if you don't love the journey there's no point because uh, you know there's there's gonna be a lot of ups and downs so you have to
1: you have to be there for for the dream yeah, i think all of those are great bits well gavin thank you for being on the show today thank you for telling the creation story of terminus thank you very much for having me